I was challenged this week in preparation for this sermon where I was reading like countless commentaries and there was just so much richness in what I was reading. And every day I kind of transformed my sermon into something completely different. And then when I was kind of sharing it with my wife last night, she was like, this is not the same sermon you, you shared with me on Wednesday or Friday. I mean, all Thursday. And I was like, yeah, because there's so much content and I didn't want to overburden you guys with too much. So I cut it back. It started off 45 minutes. I was like, no, let's cut it back. Let's cut it back. But before I go into it, let me just have a word of prayer with you. And I just pray that God really speaks in his word. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the absolute blessing it is to be able to read, to be able to encounter you, to be able to experience you. So Holy Spirit, we press into you once again and ask that you move, open our hearts and minds. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Choose. Choose you this day in whom you will serve. Choose this day in whom you will serve. When Joshua wrote this passage, when Joshua wrote this passage, when he spoke it to the Israelites, he knew that his time was short. He was coming to the end of his life. And he actually thought at this point that he was going to pass away a couple of months or so earlier. But God, the Bible says, that God had prolonged his life a little longer. And with his last kind of dying days, he rallied these Israelites together and he called his, his elders together and he proclaimed this message to them, choose this day in whom you will serve. Can you remember the moment? Can you remember the moment you decided to follow the Messiah? Do you remember the day? And it's okay if you haven't had that experience yet. But for those who I'm speaking to, do you remember the day that you said, you know what? I'm going to follow. For me, it was in my second year of theology. <laughs> yeah, no, I just saw you, Wendy, now, exact response. Wow. <laughs> Second year of theology. I had the same response as well. Where my encounter was not actually at my baptism. I was encouraged and flirted into baptism. Where I remember I had a, there was a group of young people in my church and... Um, one of my best mates was getting baptized and, he, and the head elder came up to me, my brother and my cousin Richard and it was like, guys, guys, we're having this baptism and um, we don't want to send one flower to God. And I was like, well, one flower is pretty good. On Valentine's Day, they're like 20 bucks. One flower is good. He's like, no, no, we want to send a bouquet over to God. And I was like, oh, that's good. How about we just stay with the flower? He's like, no, Ian, come on, come on. Richard, Eric, come on. Let's send that bouquet. We want to send a bouquet of flowers to God. So that was my kind of leading into my baptism. Never really made a decision. For me, I've always been a people's pleaser. And I, I saw how, what it meant to them. And I saw what it meant to my dad. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. This goes into my stepping into theology. Where everyone was coming up to me and saying, Ian, you should take up ministry. Just for the sake, because I was, in, I was my year 12 captain. And um, as a captain, we had to do our final speech at the end of the year as well as we, we were the ones that were pushed into speaking at the various churches the school went and visited. So I spoke at Parramatta and Blacktown. And people were like, man, boy, you should preach. And I was like, yeah, no. 
but people kept approaching me. And then when I got my UAI after year 12 and I got 40%, my mom's like, you have no choice, boy. You go into Avondale because you ain't getting nowhere else. <laughs> Good old general studies. Good old general studies. Bridging course. Love it. God sent. So I did general studies and everyone was saying, Ian, do theology, do theology, God is calling you. And I knew God was calling me, but I did not want to go into that calling into my, of my life because I was not your typical person who would go into theology, probably still not. But in my first year, I was proving, trying to prove to God, this is not who you want. So in my first year, I was an absolute rat. And to the point that if the, if the, if the faculty knew what I was doing, they would probably would have kicked me out because I was trying to make a, I make, a, I make a fire wherever I was that people would see. I'm like, isn't Ian doing theology? But no one actually caught on. Caught on. And in my second year of theology, I started going to um, college church by myself where no one was there. And I would have this experience of God and I would actually be angry of God and say, God, find someone else because I am not your man. And it's in my second year of theology. And all of a sudden, this thought came to mind. If anyone knew what what I was doing, they would have kicked me out long ago. But yet you still call me. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I love the theology faculty. If it wasn't for them, I would never would have made it through theology. They are amazing individuals that had to do what they need to do. They had to weed out the, the goats, and I definitely was one of those. But I was so in awe of this God that though if people saw me, they were like, get this guy out. He is not your typical pastor. But he looked at me and said, I want you. And because of that, I remember being at the front of college church on my own, on my knees, crying and saying, God, if you love me this much, I will go where you sent. And it's at that moment, in the second year of theology, I decided to give my heart to God. Choose you this day in whom you will serve. What I love about this story with this, this passage in Joshua, for such a long time, I, I, I put it down to a simple moment in our lives where we choose God. A moment in our lives where we decide to get baptized, when we decide to give our hearts to God. But this passage is not only that, it is much more. Because Joshua is saying, not only choose this day, but every day you wake up, choose this day that you are going to be intentional in serving God. Because a relationship with God doesn't just happen. You need to seek it. You need to want it and you need to be intentional about it because a relationship ain't just going to happen like any relationship here on earth. If I said to my wife, I put the ring on it, it's finished, I, don't, I can sit back now. She'd kill me, straight up. She'd no, I am your wife. Not only that, I'm your lifetime partner and we still need to do things that we're we're enjoying each other's company, going out, surprise dates, going for walks, having those awesome DNMs. These things come in relationships, and you need to be intentional about seeking it because it's so easy to be neglectful in a relationship that you forget that partner you're meant to be doing life with. And if you're not intentional about it, you fall apart. Same is with God. 
The day I chose to follow God, that is all cool. I decided to get married with him. But the point is, God says, I want you to choose every single day. Will you serve me? Are you intentional about being in a relationship with me? Same as the gym. If you think only by going to the gym, you're going to put on the kilos, you're going to hit that 100 kilo bench press, and you're going to get the six pack, you are kidding yourself. It comes with diets. It comes with sleep, because if you're not sleeping right, you're not recovering right, and you're going to do an injury in the gym. If you're not eating well, you're just going to look like a beefcake in the gym that has KFC and Hungry Jacks for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. But yet, yes, you're getting stronger, but you do not look the part. You need to be intentional about everything that you are doing in order to get the final product. And here Joshua is saying, choose this day. And every day you get up, will you be intentional about seeking me? Joshua goes further in saying this, if there's anything in your life at this point that is, that is inhibiting you from journeying with the master, cut it out. And why I'm sharing this passage with you, because it's not really in line with 1 John, but it is. When I was studying the book of 1 John, when I was studying these passages, all of a sudden Joshua came to mind that I could not get rid of it. So we're going to be journeying into 1 John because the two run into parallel because John has called the church. John has called the church at Ephesus and he has a message for them. The book of 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18. 1 John chapter 2 verse, verse 18 and it reads this. Dear children... Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going show that none of them belong to us. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know and, it, it's, and because no lie comes from the truth. What is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is Christ. Such a person is an antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promises us, eternal life eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointed teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught to you, remain in him. John starts off with his very traditional and accustomed language to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people, and saying, we are in the last days. 
to a Jew, this was like, oh, their bread and butter. This was like their, their Mecca. The last days for them, they, time was separated to two events. The first event was the present day in which we are living today. The present day where it was filled with sin, was filled with gloom, was filled with darkness, filled with persecution, filled with sickness and illness. And then was a day to come, which was heaven, encountering God in person, being one with Jesus once again. This was the day to come, being with God. In between the two was known as the last hour, a.k.a. in the New Testament it started transitioning to become known as the last, the day of the Lord. This was the transition from the present day to the day that is to come. So when John says the last hour is arriving, he's talking about the day of the Lord that he would usher in. He is, it is coming, but be aware that the Antichrist will come. The Antichrist will come. It's funny that this word Antichrist is so known in most of all Scripture but it is only mentioned three times or four times in the entire Bible, and each of those times are found in the book of John, the word Antichrist. Though the word Antichrist only appears in the book of John, the idea and the concept is as old as religion itself, that you can go into the Old Testament and you can read in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Job, and in the Psalms, when they talk about the, the, the Rahab or where they, they talk about the... Leviathan, or they talk about the, the serpent, that it is very much the Antichrist, though they never say it, but it's very much pointing to it. Now, in the book of John, there are two meanings for the Antichrist in the Greek term. The first meaning is this, anyone who opposes, no, sorry, it is he who opposes God. That is the first understanding of an Antichrist. That is he who opposes God. And this is like the clear-cut identity of obviously Lucifer, the Satan, the Leviathan. Anyone that opposes God is the Antichrist. And here John's saying, I understand that he is coming. That traditional language that we've known so much, especially in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, when we talk about the translations or the interpretation, as a kid I heard about the Catholic Church and then we went into America for me, I'm not going to go into that, but what I'm going to go into this, that John understood that there was someone to come that would oppose God. And he goes, understand that he is coming. But I don't want to put my concern into this because it's as if he pushes this aside. He pushes this aside because I understand that he is coming, and I know you love hearing this language, but understand this, there are antichrists among you, and this is whom I am concerned about. And this second antichrist is very much with the second translation understanding of what it means in the Greek term, and it is this, anything or anyone that wants to take the place of God becomes the Antichrist. The first is more obvious. We love the first. Now, when I say we love, I don't mean we love the Antichrist. Don't, in, the, in the YouTube, don't cut that out and say, Ian says we love Antichrist. No. We, 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 we acknowledge the first more because it is so obvious. And he, it is he who opposes God. Oh, man, look out for Satan, the man with a pitchfork and the, 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 the horns and the, and the long tail. I'm like, that is clear and cut. Watch out for the red man. We like that one because it's clear and obvious. Watch out for he who opposes God. 
But John is saying, I understand that, but I am more concerned about the second understanding, the second translation of Antichrist, and is anything and anyone who tries to take the place of God. And this is more dangerous because it is more subtle. It is more internal because anything that tries to pull you away from God becomes the Antichrist. Any behavior, any custom, any tradition, anything that tries to distort, any teaching that tries to distort the idea that God loves you and tries to distort that idea and say, no, God doesn't really love you or you need to do this in order to, to gain God's love. Anything that is anti of that becomes the Antichrist. So here John is saying anything that pulls or distorts or replaces God becomes Antichrist. And this is, is very personal because it is things that we are living with. It is things that we do. It is things that we are familiar with. And this is hard to get rid of. The first is easy. Beware of Satan or good. But what are there things in our lives that we are doing that are inhibiting us from experiencing a full and blessed experience with the great rabbi, with the Lord of Lords, God of God, Yahweh. And here John was very sober of this fact. I understand the first, but I want you to be careful about the second. What is there in your life? And it's exactly the same cry of Joshua at the start. It's saying, if there's anything in your life, any idol, any false worship, if it is in your life, cut it out. Get rid of it. This has taken the form of an antichrist. And you read through scripture that is different from every person. And that's a scary thing. It's not in easy identification. For, for Saul, it was pride. For, for Samson, it was women. For David, it was women. For, for Zacchaeus, it was wealth. For the rich young ruler, it was money. For each individual, there is something in their lives that they are struggling with, that, they, that are, they are burdened with, and they don't know how to cut it out, or they don't even want to cut it out. And here John is saying, and Joshua cried out long ago, saying, you need to get rid of it because it is burdening you and it is stopping you from having a full encounter and experience with God. Choose this day in who you will serve and be intentional about it and cut out what is in your way. The Bible says, as we go further into in verse 24, it says, do these things, and by doing these things, you will receive eternal life. Now, we need to be very, very, very careful in our interpretation of this. Because we think straight away, oh, is this, is, is this a sermon, or is this a talk saying, do this, and you will receive eternal life. You will live forever. You will enter the pearly gates. No, this is not what the Bible is saying. Because the word for eternal life has, has very little to do with longevity. It is not talking about how to get to heaven. It's not talking about how to enter the pearly gates. What it is saying here, you want eternal life. It's not saying longevity. It's saying if you want to have a life that is blessed, it is talking about the Greek term is ionos, meaning quality of life. 
It's not talking about how do you get to heaven and how, how you enter the pearly gate. It's saying if you want to be blessed now, if you want a relationship now, it's saying cut these things out and take up the Messiah, look to him and walk with him. And by doing this, you will experience a life that is unlike any other life. So here we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about do this and you'll enter salvation. We're talking about do this and you will be blessed. Ionos is about quality, not quantity. Because the Jewish, when they talked about eternal life, it was never about um, quantity. Because quantity as a, in a bad life can be hell in itself. You could be living a horrible life and live forever. And to the Jewish person, they're like, man, that is absolutely horrible. We're not seeking quantity. We are seeking quality. And here John, as well as Joshua, is saying this, Choose this day in whom you will serve. Choose this day in who you will look to and cut out the things that will inhabit you. Cut out the things that have become your antichrist that are stopping you from seeing a clearer picture of who the loving God is. And by doing this, you will be blessed. Because you, you will have an encounter with the Messiah unlike any other. What I love about this passage, that in, it starts in verse 20 when it starts talking about, understand this, you are anointed. Now to completely understand what this meant, because we look at it and it's a bit of lost in meaning today because we look, oh, look at anointing, oh, that's all good, nice, get anointed. But we need to understand what it meant to the Jewish person back then. When, when John says you are anointed, this was a privilege that was never given to the, the traditional person. An anointing back in those days was only reserved for three types of people. If you were anointed, you had to meet the three categories. First category is this, you had to be a priest. So if you were a priest in the book of Leviticus and the, book, uh, and, and, and the Mosaic law, the, the, the book says if you were a priest, you became anointed. The second category was this. If you were a king, you could become anointed. Hence, we have the stories of how Samuel anointed Saul, then he went anointed David, and we read in the, first, in the book of 1 Kings how Je, I think Jehu, I think his name was, I keep on mispronouncing his name, Jehu and Hazel. They were anointed in the book of 1 Kings because they were kings. So this was the second category, first priest, second king, and the next, last was prophets. Hence, we read how Elijah was called to, upon God to anoint Elisha because Elisha was meant to take the, take the reins after him. Or Isaiah the prophet was anointed by God. If you met these three categories, only then were you allowed to be anointed. It was a special calling on your life. It was a special blessing upon your life. But here John is saying, do you not understand that you are anointed? Why? Because you have placed your faith, because you have grounded your foundation in he and he alone. Jesus, the son of God. And the moment you decide to, to look to him and decide to acknowledge that he is your God, he anoints you. And here John was, was pouring out this, this honor upon every Christian, any person that decided to pick up, the, the, in a sense, the cross or decided to follow Christ. He says, you have become anointed and do not let anyone or anything teach you otherwise. If anyone speaks less of you, they become the Antichrist because God speaks highly of you, that he anoints you. 
If anyone wants to betroth you, if anyone wants to look down upon you and say you are less than anything because of what your actions are, because of what you've done in the past, because of what you're doing right now or will do in the future, say that you are anointed by God and regardless of your actions, this is who you are. And anyone that speaks outside of that is speaking antichrist because it's not of God. I would love to go into chapter 3 where it pours out God saying, you are my son and you are my daughter. Understand this. But God is trying to pour into his people. This is who you are. Anyone or anything that distorts that gets rid of it. Anyone that distorts God's love on you, anyone that pulls you away from God becomes an antichrist and you need to cut it out. And I love I absolutely love right at the end, right at the end, in the book of 1 John, as well as in Joshua, they finish up in saying this, in all things, remain in him. Walk with him. Joshua goes in saying, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord with a desire and a passion to walk and know who he is. I love what the commentators say, that by walking with him in a daily, choosing him daily, when he does come back, when you do see him face to face, you'll be able to greet him as a friend and not a stranger. The idea that you have walked with him, that you have encountered him, that you have chosen daily to live your life according to his will, according to his calling, according to who he says you are. And by doing this, you will experience the eternal, the ionos in the Greek term, the blessed life. But in order for, that to experience, for you to experience this, they have the sobering fact of saying, look deep in yourself. And remove anything that is inhibiting that. And for me, I can't go into that for you. But this requires a reflection on yourselves. You know what is in your life. You know what, is, what, what, is, what has been harboring, that has been burning inside you. And you know, you know what, I want to get rid of this because I want to encounter God. It has nothing to do with salvation. You are already anointed. You are already called by God. And God says, the moment you declare me as your Lord, you are, you are becoming a son and daughter of the living God. And you are, you, salvation is yours. But this has nothing to do with salvation. But God is saying, I want you to be happy. I want you to be blessed. I want you to experience joy. So cut what is in your life that is stopping you from experiencing the Lord of Lords and God of Gods. The God we worship is amazing and he's dying for an encounter with us. And here in the book of Joshua as well as John, he's saying this, remove it, remove it, and remove it. And look to me and abide with me and stick to me. And I will show you what it is to love. I will show you what it is, how it is to walk. And I will allow you to experience a love like any other. For me, that took place in the second year of theology, and I have not looked back since. It has been a journey for me where I've had to cut a lot of things out. But I look to him and say, thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Because every day I strive, I fall, I get up, he picks me up, and I continue. What is in your life that God is calling you today? Get rid of and seek him. Walk with him. 
and experience him. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time. You know, we, we kind of read the passage and we see the, the big word antichrist. We're like, whoa, where are we going here? But Lord, it is such a subtle message and such an important message that you just desire to walk with us. You desire to have an encounter with us. And there are things in our lives that are inhibiting us to do that. It has nothing to do with salvation, but everything to do with quality of life today. And Lord, you want us to have joy, peace. So, Father God, I pray a blessing on every single person in the families that are here, anyone watching online. Lord, I pray that you speak love and affirmation into the most of all and first most. But whatever is eating at them inside, maybe it's a better identity of who they are in you. Maybe it's, it's, it's something that, they, that has been eating at them that they've, maybe they don't even like themselves or the people around them. Father God, whatever it is, I pray, Father, that you help them with that journey. And may they experience and see a God that is so desperately in love with them and that wants to walk with them. Seek you this day. Make the decision today in whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you, Father God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.